Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the Science of Success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than 3 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we ask, how do you make decisions that let you see beyond your everyday inbox, busy work, and the demand of others? We uncover that there are huge mismatches between how you think you spend your time and how you actually spend it. We share how you can deal with the fear and the reality of disappointing other people and not meeting their expectations. And we share one simple strategy in 30 minutes that can help you reclaim control of your time with our guest, Laura Vanderkam. I'm going to tell you why you've been missing out on some incredibly cool stuff if you haven't signed up for our email list yet. All you have to do to sign up is to go to successpodcast.com and sign up right on the homepage. On top of tons of subscriber-only content, exclusive access, and live Q&As with previous guests, monthly giveaways, and much more, I also created an epic free video course just for you. It's called How to Create Time for What Matters Most Even When You're Really Busy. Email subscribers have been raving about this guide. You can get all of that and much more by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage or by texting the word SMARTER to the number 44222 on your phone. If you like what I do on Science of Success, my email list is the number one way to engage with me and go deeper on what I discuss on the show, including free guides, actionable takeaways, exclusive content, and much, much more. Sign up for my email list today by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. Or if you're on the go, if you're on your phone right now, it's even easier. Just text the word SMARTER that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. I can't wait to show you all the exciting things you'll get when you sign up and join the email list. In our previous episode, 
we discussed how you can understand the world with powerful clarity. What makes other people behave in certain ways? What are the most important concepts and ideas in the business world? Do you often feel like you're looking for a magic bullet or a paint-by-numbers approach to solving your problems? The solution to all of these questions lies in a powerful framework that we explained in depth and showed you how to apply with our previous guest, Josh Kaufman. If you want to learn an epic mental framework that could literally change your life, listen to that episode. Now for our interview with Laura. Today, we have another exciting guest back on the show. We are welcoming back Laura Vanderkam. Laura's show with us got rave reviews, and we're excited to have her back to discuss more of her wisdom and her newest book, Juliet's School of Possibilities. She's the author of several time management and productivity books, and her TED Talk titled How to Gain Control of Your Free Time has been viewed more than 5 million times. She's also the co-host of the Best of Both Worlds podcast, and her work has appeared in publications ranging from the New York Times to the Wall Street Journal and much more. Laura, welcome to the Science of Success. Thank you so much for having me back. Well, we're really excited to have you back on the show. I'm a huge fan of the themes and ideas that we that we covered in the previous episode, which we'll obviously throw in the show notes for listeners who want to go and check that out as well. But there's just so many important things and, and ideas that you share. And, and I think we have a shared perspective on priorities or time management or whatever you want to call it. And I, time management is kind of a problematic term. But before we get into that, I'm curious, what inspired you to write this more narrative-driven book as opposed to a traditional nonfiction book? Well, I'm always trying to do new things. You know, I figure if people just want my take on time management, uh, there's other books they can buy. They have uh, you know can read the old ones. So if I want people to keep coming along with me for new books, I need to give them something different. And as a writer and as a speaker, I've learned over the years that while people are happy to get information, they remember it much better when it comes in the form of a story. And people just love stories. We know this, right? It's uh, our favorite speeches, our favorite people we want to talk to at parties are those who have a good story. And so I wondered, well, can I turn what I've learned about time management into a story. And fortunately, my publisher is the same publisher who's done a number of other parables in the past. And and so they're familiar with the concept and they were very excited to do something that was just a little bit different. I agree. I think sometimes when you approach something from the perspective of a parable, it breaks through or sticks in a way that often just reading a rote list of do this and do this and here's why it it penetrates more when it comes in the form of, of a narrative story in many cases. It definitely does because, I mean, we sympathize with other, you know, human beings and what they're going through. And we can see ourselves in these characters. And when they're facing a dilemma, we can understand and we can have opinions about what they should do. And so, you know, I can tell people and I have been telling people for years, well, you should make time in your life for what's important. And you're always choosing how you spend your time. Time is a choice. And so you want to make sure that you are choosing well. But there's a certain number of people that I think will find it more memorable or easier to grasp when they hear the story of somebody whose life is falling apart because she can't make good choices about how to spend her time and how she learns to do that in you know a moment of reckoning. So, you know, and I enjoy writing fiction. It's something I've done on the side for years. So I'm kind of excited to combine those two different writing loves of about productivity and also this this sideline of, of fiction into one book. 
You know, I think many people in the modern world, to, to some degree or another, have that same feeling or fear or experience of their lives falling apart because they don't know how to make choices about how to spend their time. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I see this all the time on time logs um, that people, the way I phrase it is that expectations are infinite and that time is finite. I mean, there's always something else you could be doing, you know, something that somebody else expects from you or that you expect from yourself or that work expects from you or that you feel you should be doing or if you feel society at large is telling you you should be doing. I mean, these, these expectations are sort of as many as the stars, but we only have 24 hours in a day or 168 hours in a week. So while I do feel it is enough time to do the things that are important to us, it's not, you know, enough time to do everything. So we're always making choices about how we spend our time. I guess one way to put it is that you're always disappointing someone, which may sound a bit depressing, but I prefer to think of it more as, as liberating because once you recognize that every time you're choosing to do one thing, you're choosing not to do something else, you realize, well, there you have to choose. And because you have to choose, you are liberated to choose what is right for you. And so hopefully people reading Juliet's School of Possibilities will feel empowered to say, you know, I can put off checking my email until later in the day because there's this big project I really want to dive into and give my full focus. Or, you know, I don't have to look down at the text coming in my phone because there's this person in front of me who has fascinating things to say and I want to listen and give my full attention to this. Or, you know, there's more to life than just working. And I'm allowed to take time on the weekends to do something that I find enjoyable, time on the evenings, time in the mornings. And so, you know, I think that's my goal, that people will realize that they are choosing how to spend their time. They have a lot more power than they think. I think both of those are really important points. One is is this notion that not only are you choosing how to spend your time, but you you have to make a choice of how it gets allocated. But even more important than that, what people often miss is is that, and especially when you're trying to please everybody or be everything to everyone, is that whether you see them or not, there are material trade-offs and opportunity costs to any choice you make about how to spend your time. Yeah, the opportunity cost is something that is so hard to see because inevitably what happens when somebody asks for our time, uh, you think about how we wind up filling our time. It's usually somebody has asked for it for some reason or another. Or we've volunteered it for something. You know, when we're looking at our time and saying, deciding whether we want to give it to something, we're often asking the question of, am I free? Which is you know, a good question to ask, but it's probably not the only question to ask, particularly for things that are happening far in the future. I mean, I look at my calendar for July. Yeah, sure. I'm free. I'm free for anything in July at this point, but I'm not like by July, there'll be many, many things that are right in front of me that I could be doing. So saying yes to something that that isn't a great use of my time means I will have to give something up. You know, and we don't always see this, but then we find ourselves too busy to do the things that you know, we really care about, or we're having to say no to things that might have been more interesting because we're already committed to something else. So, you know, I think being a little bit more aware of the opportunity cost and, and understanding that every choice to do one thing is a choice not to do something else, even if you don't really feel that you're actively making a choice. I really like that notion that saying yes to something is essentially by definition saying no to something else. And every choice to do one thing is by definition, a choice not to do something else. How do we help people who don't necessarily see that or experience that? Because it's it's somewhat ephemeral. How do we help people 
make that realization? Well, I think one of the best ways to sort of see that, you know, how much choice we do have over time, it's something I've, I've talked about a lot, but just a little hack for your life is, you know, if you're not aware of how much time you are choosing, try picking up like a real page turner of a book or a, a binge worthy series, you know, start on TV, like, because magically you start turning all available space into time to read that page turner book or time to watch that binge worthy series. And you say like, Oh wait, you know, how did I manage to get through a 400 page book this weekend? Well, it's because all time that would have been spent scrolling through headlines or, you know, moving mail from one pile to the other in your house or running errands that probably didn't actually need to be run or or watching TV you didn't actually care about. Like all of that is repurposed to this one thing that you truly, truly, truly want to get through because, you know, you got to find out what happens next. But if you do that, note where that time is. Note how much space you managed to devote to reading or watching this series And then say, well, you know, maybe I could use some of that time for other things that I've been saying that I would like to get to. Maybe that's time that theoretically I'm allocating to one thing, but I don't have to, right? I I can make a different choice if if I wish. Zooming out and and thinking about this from a slightly larger perspective, how do we, how do listeners start to make decisions that help them see beyond the things that pile up every day, whether it's emails or demands from other people's time or busy work, how do you start to develop that space or that perspective to gain an understanding of what what your priorities are and where your time should be spent? Yeah, I think it's really important to look forward into the future. And and one of the things that happens in this book and Juliet's School of Possibilities is that the title character Juliet helps Riley, who's the you know young person whose life is falling apart, see different visions of her future. She has her look very far into the future um, to see what her life might look like as a result of various choices that she makes. It's a bit like you know Ebenezer Scrooge looking backwards and stuff in his life, or looking forward to the ghosts of Christmas future. The key thing here is we can't truly know the future and we don't know how it will turn out. So I know it's hard to look forward into the future. But if you say, you know, I'm picturing myself in the next like five to 10 years. And if I picture myself as very happy with my life, I'm professionally fulfilled. I am happy with my personal life. I feel healthy, like I have enough energy. Why would those things be true? Like what would be in my life that I think would make me feel that way? You know, what are these visions I might have of myself? And one of the exercises you might actually do is, you know, picture that somebody is giving you an an honor in 10 years or something, and they're writing a speech about the amazing things that you've done. And think about what that person would talk about. And and then, you know, providing as they often do at awards speeches, sort of character references for you, you know, in your personal life too, what great things you've done. And you think about why people would be saying these things. What sort of impact would you have had on the people you love and and perhaps on the broader world as well? And make the scene as vivid as possible. And it doesn't mean that inevitably those things will happen, but it does give you some insight into what is important to you. So for instance, if you find yourself envisioning your future and you are having great meals with like friends you just absolutely love spending time with and you think about your 
current self and you are spending approximately zero time having great meals with friends, like, well, maybe that's something you should try changing, right? Maybe you should try to get some friends together to go to a restaurant, uh, you know, this weekend, or maybe you can, you know, plan a dinner party in the next couple of weeks and try some recipes out ahead of time and then serve them to your friends and see how it goes, get their feedback on it. But, but this is how you sort of start to put these things that you have envisioned from your great future into your current life, you know, just to try them out and, and see as you spend more time on the things that you love, how it feels to be living more in line with the things that you do feel are priorities. I think the way that you, you phrased it at one point in the book was that your priorities should inform your scheduling choices, which is so obvious and so simple. And yet it's advice that's very rarely followed. I know. <laughs> it's true. It is very rarely because it's hard because the things that we really want to do are not always the things that are screaming right in front of us. I mean, various things are you know, going on in my week right now that I'm having to deal with in terms of weather and school closings and kitchen repairs and various things have broken and you know, people want documentation on stuff that's not in my mind, a big priority, but like that doesn't mean they don't think it's a big priority. So, you know, there's all these things that are, distract you from what you want to do. And it's always, they say, well, I'll get to the writing later. You know, I'll, I'll think about that book I want to write in the future later because I got to focus on all these other things that are, that are screaming for attention. But actually scheduling in your priorities is the only way to get around that. Because again, the expectations are infinite and the time is finite unless you consciously choose to put in time for the things that matter to you. This time will be taken away from you uh, for somebody else's priorities. So, you know, one of the things I always try to do and encourage other people to do is to think through their weeks before they're in them to sort of think about the year ahead of you. Like at the end of the year, if you were to say, well, it's been an amazing year for me professionally, like what, what three things would you have done in the course of the year to have it be an amazing year for you professionally? And then you say, okay, well, how can I break those three big things down into doable steps? And what space am I putting on my schedule this week for some of those doable steps? And if you're not making space, well, it's really hard to claim that those are truly your top professional priorities. So something to think about in your personal life too. You can think about at the end of the year, you know, what you'd like to say that you've done in the course of 2019. And if you'd like to envision yourself at the end of the year saying, hey, you know, this was the year that I, I ran that 10K and then here you are not running at all on your schedule this week. Well, again, it, it's hard to say that that's actually a priority, which may be true, right? You know, not everything has to be a priority. And sometimes people think things should be priorities because they're important to somebody else or we think that society at large thinks we should do them. But think about what truly matters to you and challenge yourself to put a couple things on the schedule for the upcoming week. And if you do that, I promise it will feel so amazing that you will want to keep doing it. You snuck in a really great reframe of the phrasing on that, which is this idea that if you don't determine how you want to spend your time, the I think the exact phrase you use is that it'll be taken away from you by someone else's priorities. Yeah, well, I think that's what happens <laughs> a lot of time because, you know, everyone has competing priorities and, and just because someone else wants you to do something does not automatically mean that you have to. I mean, again, time is a choice. I mean, maybe it is a good idea. Like I'm not saying if your biggest client wants to meet with you tomorrow that you shouldn't do it. I mean, probably you should. It'd be a smart use of time, but you don't absolutely have to. We always have this 
um, sense this agency over our time. And so, yeah, given that the expectations are infinite, somebody will always come up with something else you could be doing. But the question is whether you really want to. I like the way that that, that reframe really just puts the onus back on you and, and helps crystallize the idea of the opportunity cost, the missed opportunities of all of the things you could have done when your time gets sapped or or sucked into a, a distraction or spent on a priority of someone else instead of a priority that, that you had. Yeah. And I mean, we don't even need to talk about huge amounts of time. I mean, I can bore myself thinking about how many people have told me they don't have time to exercise. And yet, I think if they looked at their calendars, they could probably easily identify, let's say, two and a half hours of conference calls during the week that they added absolutely no value to whatsoever. I mean, to the point where they were multitasking the whole time, you know, deleting emails, scrolling through headlines. Why are you on those calls, right? That's two and a half hours. You could have gone outside for a walk at your workplace and, hey, you would have exercised for the equivalent of 30 minutes, five times a week, which is exactly what, you know, the public health authorities say you need to do. So, yeah, there's always other things we can do doing it. And it often is not even huge amounts of time. If you took 45 minutes, four mornings a week to write, you know, for a book you wanted to write, so that would be three hours a week. I'm pretty sure in three hours, you could probably write 1,500 to 2,000 words, which would mean that you would have a draft in well under a year, right? But again, that time can be taken up with other things. It can be taken up with sort of, you know, redoing housework that's already been done or puttering around or sort of watching TV in the morning to fill the time before it's time to go to work or, you know, these things hitting snooze. I mean, you can wind up hitting snooze for that much and say, well, the snooze is what happened rather than the book. It, it doesn't have to be a huge amount of time that has shifted over to important things, but consciously making those choices and then continuing to do them over and over again is how you get important things done. That's a great point because it breaks it down into something that's much more manageable. Even carving out these chunks of 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour or two a day can make a huge difference. And the example of exercise comes back, makes me think of the simple idea that you already shared, which is this notion of scheduling your priorities. My own personal experience, I I struggled for a long time to get in a regular fitness routine And somehow it dawned on me this really simple idea, which is I'm just going to put in my calendar every day fitness for an hour. And that's it. And I just put it on my calendar, set it for every day. And then magically, I went from working out zero to two times a week to working out five or six times a week because it was in the calendar. It was already scheduled. And that doesn't mean some days I'll I'll move it or I'll reschedule it or I'll cancel it because I get busy. But now it's the default choice instead of just wasting time on something else. Yeah, I think that's a a great idea. You know, what I'd often winds up happening is people sometimes just don't want to exercise. (laughs) And it becomes easier to say, well, I I don't have time. I mean, people say they don't have time for all sorts of things. I've had people tell me they don't have time to floss, which just strikes me as, you know, funny. Um, I'm pretty sure you do have time to floss. Whether you want to floss or not is an entirely different matter. If something's a priority, put it on your calendar. If it's not, make your peace with it. I want to come back to something else you shared that is is essential to understanding this, which is that this can apply. I think a lot of times time management really focuses in or gets bucketed in more of a, of a professional bucket, but there's a lot of applications. This applies professionally, but it also applies personally and even 
carving out an hour or two a week or a weekend for something that you really care about or passionate about or, or a hobby that you that you love to spend time on can make a huge difference. Yeah, it really can. It doesn't take much time devoted to things that you enjoy to make a huge difference in your life. As, as, so many people think, you know, I have no time whatsoever. I can't do X, Y, or Z. You challenge yourself to find the equivalent of 30 minutes a day. So that is three and a half hours a week. Three and a half hours in the course of a 168-hour week is probably not that much. And if you need to break it down into 15-minute increments within that, fine. You know, one in the morning, one at night during the week, and maybe, you know, bigger chunks on the weekend. Or it could be longer chunks on the weekend and smaller during the week, you know, two hours on the weekend and then 90 minutes sometime during the week. And probably in the course of Monday through Friday, you could find 90 minutes somewhere broken up into chunks. But if you can get to the equivalent of spending half an hour a day on something that is meaningful for you, life will feel so amazingly different. Like the other 23.5 hours will be fine because you know you've got these 30 minutes devoted to something awesome. And if you can scale that up, you know, can you get it to seven hours a week? And again, I don't think seven hours is a huge ask. And I understand that there may be people listening to this have very busy lives. You know, if you are working full time, maybe people have families too. You know, especially if you have very young kids, it can be hard to carve those hours. But often it might be time after they go to bed, right? You can go watch TV or you could do something else for 30 minutes and then go watch TV. Um, but making the choice to do something else can, can make really life feel just a lot more doable. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shana's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. 
Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want, and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. And I found personally that once you start to carve out these these little slivers of time, they begin to snowball and snowball. And that 30 minutes gives you the space and, and teaches you that it's okay to now I can step out and maybe I can spend you know another 30 minutes. And you start to build on that. And suddenly you start to wake up and realize, wow, I've got way, way more time than I ever thought I had. Yeah, I've come to this realization myself. You know, I, I track my time and I have continuously for about four years. And, you know, I feel like I have a, a fairly full life, but there's still all kinds of space. I mean, I've realized that I do have time to read real books. Sometimes I don't feel like reading real books. And again, that's a different matter. Uh, but I do have time to read real books. I, you know, joined a, a choir about a year and a half ago because I realized I had time to do it. You know, I'm if we, we meet on Thursday evenings, I was not usually doing all that much of consequence on Thursday evenings. So it was fine to take that evening and rehearse my singing instead. And we, we sing on Sunday mornings in church. And, you know, again, I was often not doing too much of consequence on, on Sunday mornings. So it's fine to make the time for it. And it, it makes me very happy to do. I love to have this music making back in my life. And yes, it requires time, but it's not an infinite amount of time. It's about, you know, four hours a week, and there are 168 hours in a week. So those four hours really make a big difference. Do you think it's a bigger challenge for people to discover what their priorities are or to create space for their priorities in their lives? I think sometimes it's harder to figure out your real priorities, you know, and I, I think some people would, would argue with me about that. They say, well, Laura, there's all these things I really want to do. And trust me, I'm just incredibly busy. I have no time whatsoever. And that may be, you know, I know some people's lives are incredibly constrained for various reasons. But I do think that when you have a very good sense of what matters to you and are very clear on it, you wind up finding space for it, you know, that you become, it may not be five things that you love, but certainly one thing other than work and family might be possible to keep up with even during the years of, of building your career. And if you know, perhaps you have a young family as well, you know, and, and as for work, I mean, there are are definitely ways to get closer over time to doing things professionally that make you feel incredibly fulfilled. I think, you know, people spend a lot of their 20s and 30s figuring out what that is. And that can feel very frustrating. Like, what should I be doing with my life? What can I uniquely contribute to the world? What is my professional calling? And wouldn't it be nice if there was a way to just take a class and whatever that is in college and immediately get a job afterwards doing exactly what that is? But, you know, life doesn't work that way. It's a series of trial and error where you figure it out. But I think that can actually be a great mindset to have, that your first few jobs are all about figuring out what your priorities are professionally, like what you can do well, what you could do better than anyone else if you trained at it hard enough, you know, what makes you feel fulfilled and like you're making an impact on the world. And as you figure that out, you start to find ways to spend more of your time doing it and you become less tolerant of situations where you're not spending a whole lot of time on these things. It's almost like building a muscle. And once you start to start to flex that and build it up, 
and I and I've had this experience personally as well. My tolerance now for things that don't fit within that wheelhouse just decreases and decreases every single year. And I get more and more, for lack of a better term, ruthless about where I spend my time because I realize the incredible both cost of it not going into the right things, but the opportunity and the excitement that comes with when it gets spent on the right things. I agree with that. And and one of the big learnings, are, I mean, I when I started out writing, I would write pretty much about anything, anyone who was willing to pay me for doing it. But over time, I've learned that some things make me a lot happier to write and I find a lot more interesting, some things a lot less so. And I had an experience a couple months ago where I did a project that I realized just wasn't the right thing. I mean, that didn't get me out of doing it once I agreed to do it because I'm a person of my word, so I'll do a good job on what I've agreed to do. But I decided to treat it as a real learning experience. Like the fact that you feel this way, Laura, means you should never do this again in the future. Like now you know. Never say yes to this sort of thing again. So that's a good learning. I mean, I'm, I'm maybe it's sad that it took me to age forty to figure that out, but uh, you know, better late than never. So in the book, at, at towards the end of the book, you share a number of really practical, simple questions for a reader to apply to their lives. I'd love to to hear what some of those questions are and why they're so impactful, so the listeners can can digest them and apply them. Yeah, well, one was what we talked about earlier, this idea of picturing yourself a couple of years in the future. And if you are fulfilled professionally and personally, what are you doing? You know, who is with you? Why are you doing the things you're doing? Like what impact are you having on the world that makes you so excited about of what you're doing and, and get this picture very clear and then sort of think you're out. Well, what, what steps could I take to get there? How could I spend more time in my current life on these things? Uh, what could I do in the next week uh, to start making some progress toward some of these long-term priorities? And then another practical question is who could hold me accountable for doing these things in the next week? Cause a lot of us have really good intentions, but you know, it's easy to say, well, you know, other stuff came up or I meant to get to that, but you know, this was a really busy week or, well, I would have gotten to it, but you know, the, there was whether the office was closed for a couple of days and I had to do something, you know, there's always going to be a reason that it's not a perfect week to do whatever it is. So find somebody who will, depending on what you respond to, either yell at you like a drill sergeant or, you know, coax you very kindly if you're into that instead, but somebody who will make sure that, you know, you know that somebody's watching you. Um, and for many people that can be helpful for making sure that it actually gets done. How do you think about balancing these macro goals and, and five-year visions with the daily and weekly activities that are that marry those two things together? Well, I think it's important to always be making small steps toward these larger goals. And again, they can be very small steps. Uh, if you want to write a book, you can write a book writing 500 words a day or less, really, as long as you just keep going. So, you know, challenge yourself to do at least one small thing, ideally daily. But even if you can't do that, if you just do two or three things in this next week, two or three small steps toward your larger professional and personal goals, well, that's a lot better than nothing. And I promise that if you keep making, you know, two to three steps a week, well, in a year, you've made 100 to 150 steps, which unless, you know, your your goal is so far away, it's, it's unseeable. Like, you know, you're probably going to be a lot closer if you've taken 150 small steps uh, toward whatever those those goals might be. Once we start to 
step into this place of prioritizing our own priorities and focusing our time on the things we want to focus it on. How do you deal with the either the fear or the reality of disappointing other people or or not meeting their expectations? It's hard, especially when you know people would like you to do things and and they can be disappointed and and it's within their right to feel disappointed. You can't control anyone else's feelings. But I think if your goal is to go through life without disappointing anyone, you're going to have a very difficult life because not every everyone else's goals for you are not the same as what yours are, but it's your life. And ultimately, you are the one who has to determine where those hours go. And you're the one who's going to have to look back on your life and answer whether those hours went places that you wish them to go. And, you know, this is an ongoing difficult process. Uh, plenty of people have the experience of, going into a line of work that maybe their parents didn't foresee that they were going to go into. And, and then they have to deal with that disappointment or, you know, going into different school, or maybe you choose a spouse that isn't exactly what your extended family thought what you would do, or you don't choose a spouse at all. And again, that's not what your extended family thought you would do. And then the disappointments just continue. I mean, if you manage to please every single colleague you ever work with, well, you know, people's pleasure is often not uh, 100% justified. I mean, maybe somebody did work that needs to change. And if, if you're only worried about pleasing them, then, then you've got a problem with that. So I, it's just not a good goal to go through life that you will never disappoint anyone. I think you can go through goal with a, you know, go through life with the goal that you will do your best, that you will try to lessen the impact if somebody has a legitimate reason to be disappointed, but that you will not hold yourself hostage to that. I think it also helps to have a little phrase, switching a phrase in, in our brains. I mean, often we're like, oh no, I did this, or you know, oh no, somebody feels this. How about changing it to just, oh well, you know, somebody feels this. Oh, well, <laughs> I didn't do this. Oh, well, life continues. And the honest truth, one final thing that, that I think can help with this is I have people do this exercise. I ask them to tell me what they were thinking about and worried about on today's date two years ago. And very, very few people can do it, right? To say like, oh, yeah, you know, I was actually really irritated about this you know, memo I got about whatever. I, no, you don't remember exactly what that was from two years ago without if you actually went back through your inbox or something or went back through your calendar. Without doing that, you you have no idea what was annoying you two years ago. So likewise, whatever is keeping you up at night now probably will not matter in two years. So you can kind of do yourself a favor and get over it two years early. I like that. That's a great strategy. One of the other things that I thought was really interesting, and, and this is probably my own inner time management nerd coming out, but the uh, towards the end of the book, you had one of the exercises, which was just a giant Excel spreadsheet basically to fill out. I, I believe it was by the half hour, or maybe it was by the hour, I forget. But for how you spend every single piece of your day. And to me, that was that's another strategy similar to the notion of, of scheduling your priorities which is which is so simple and yet so few people actually do which is just measuring where your time actually goes 
Yeah, I think all novels should have a spreadsheet in them. Um, I'm hoping I'm starting a new trend there. No, I, I track my time on those weekly spreadsheets, and I encourage other people to do so as well. The best way to start spending time better is to figure out where it is going now. There's really no way around this. It's like trying to lose weight while all, you know, being completely blind to what you're putting in your mouth. I mean, maybe you'll get lucky and it'll work, but I probably wouldn't bet on it. So same thing with time. If we want to spend our time better, we should figure out exactly where it goes, not where we think it goes, because people have all kinds of stories they will tell themselves about where the time really goes. I mean, fascinating stories. You said you were a data geek here. I mean, there, there are some hilarious time studies about people's mismatch between perceptions and reality. One of my favorite was about a gym that people knew that they had whatever, a key fob or whatever, as they were signing into their gym that recorded exactly how many times they were there, right? So it was not in question how many times they had been in the gym. Yet when they were asked how many times they had been during that time, they gave answers that were like double the amount of times they had actually been to the gym. In their minds, these people were exercising all the time. And, and the fact that they didn't was just some weird quirk of, of the universe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, so we've got all sorts of stories about where the time goes. But time log will, will take those away quickly. And I think that's a good thing. Because if you know how many hours you are working, then you can make good choices within those hours. You can make good choices with the hours you have outside of work. If you know how many hours you are spending on, say, chores, you can decide if you think that's right or if it should be different. If you see how much time you're spending with friends and family, you can decide if you think that's a good amount or if you think it should be higher or maybe you think it should be lower. Or I don't know, maybe maybe that's your issue. I, I You just don't know. But unless you see the numbers, it's really hard to make rational decisions as opposed to decisions that are made because you're telling yourself sort of catastrophic stories of, you know, I'm working around the clock. Well, are you really, really, you never sleep. You've, you've never, you know, gone to anything else in the past you know, month or, you know, I travel all the time. Well, let's, let's look at the number of hotel nights. Often it comes out to fewer over the course of a year than one might think. So find the data, make better choices. Earlier, you mentioned the snooze button. And, and that was one of the things personally that I uncovered in a, in a previous time audit was that until I really looked at my time, I realized I was I was laying in bed. I would get up and then I would take my phone and I would look at my phone for like 45 minutes reading and looking at social media and all this stuff. And I, once I actually started recording and looking at how I was spending my time, I realized that there was a massive amount of wasted time every single morning that I could carve out by simply just getting out of bed when I wake up instead of wasting all that time on my phone. It's pretty easy to do if your phone is your alarm clock. So, so that's an easy hack for people right there is, is get yourself a real alarm clock and then you won't be quite as tempted by that. Your phone can go sleep in, in another room where it won't then bother you first thing. But yeah, people find that sort of thing all the time or find that they were, were snoozing for an average of 27 minutes, whatever, the multiples of nine minutes, three times each morning. And it, why not get that as real sleep? Like set your alarm for the time you'll actually get out of bed as opposed to, you know, spending it in these little small unhelpful chunks of sleep. Or, you know, one thing I found when I tracked my time is I spent way more time in the car than I thought I did. I run my business out of a home office. So in my mind, you know, there's no daily commute. Therefore, I must be spending negligible amount of time in the car. But that's not true. I mean, between errands and running family members around and traveling to different things, I average more than an hour a day in the car. Uh, which is not insignificant at all. And now that I know that, 
I can challenge myself to make more of that time, whether it's you know, listening to podcasts or if I have a family member in the car with me, recognizing that this is time we have together and I should be aware of that and instead of sort of viewing it as time that doesn't exist. That's another great strategy. In some ways, I have a little bit of a mixed opinion about because sometimes I feel like this habit that I have pulls me away from being present sometimes, but I'm a huge fan of what I call double dipping, which is basically any dead time I have, I try to make more use out of it. Whether I'm, if I'm brushing my teeth, I might be listening to a podcast or watching something on YouTube or reading an article. I'm always trying to capitalize on all of those, those dead moments or those little slivers of wasted time and turn that into something where I can be productive or learning, et cetera. Well, there's nothing wrong with using time, using bits of time. And I think you could, you know, it's fine to have downtime too. I mean, you could consciously say, well, this 10 minutes here where I'm waiting, I'm just going to let my mind wander where it goes. I'm going to look up at the clouds and feel happy about looking up at the clouds, challenge myself not to pull out the phone and, and look at social media or something like that. I think that would be a great use of, of time as well. The thing I think we the problem is that most people use those little bits of time for mindless activities and they do add up. My time in the car wasn't coming as a solid hour every day. I mean, if I would notice it, if I was in the car for an hour straight, it's because it was in eight minute chunks here and there, you know, eight minutes going to this place and five minutes to the post office and eight minutes to the grocery store. Because of that, it wasn't registering because it wasn't big. But that is real time and it's it's time there. So if it makes you happy to do other things, to to listen to stuff or to learn stuff or to reach out to someone in those bits of time, then that's great. If it makes you happy to do absolutely nothing in the sense of having sort of fallow time, which I think is where the, the best ideas often arise, then by all means do that too. So for listeners who want to, and, and you've shared a number of, of really specific applicable ideas here, but for listeners who want to concretely start somewhere and implementing these ideas in their lives, what would be one piece of homework or one action item that you would give them to begin the journey of starting to understand their priorities and allocate their time accordingly? Well, I always suggest time tracking, and I know I sound like a broken record on this, but it's actually really easy to get started. And one thing you can do is just sit down right now and, or you know, if you're listening to this in, car, in the car, don't do this. But uh, once you get to a place where you can write down, write down what you've done over the previous 24 hours. Uh, most people can remember the previous 24 hours with a reasonable degree of accuracy. I mean, time logs put it somewhere between about 80, 90%, which for our, for our purposes is probably good enough. So what did you do over the previous 24 hours? Write this down. Well, now you've got one day of data. So now just do the next day, 24 hours from now, starting now. And, and wow, you've got two days and you've already got some that could be reasonable to start to see some patterns with. You know, just keep going like this one day at a time until you get to a week and you'll find all sorts of interesting things. I, I promise it's an interesting exercise. As Peter Drucker said, what gets measured gets managed. And time really can be measured. I mean, that's the good thing about it. There's many other things in life that can't, but I can find out for sure how much time I was spending in the car. And that doesn't mean that I've figured out my big priorities based on that, but it helps because then when I know what material I'm working with, I, I can make better choices with it. And since life is lived with lived in hours, we're going to build what lives we want out of allocating those hours in the right ways. So knowing where they go is, is really more important than it might sound. And for listeners who want to find you, the new book and your previous work online, 
what's the best place for them to do that? Well, I hope your listeners will come visit me at lauravandercam.com. That's just my name. You can learn all about my my previous books and this new one, Juliet's School of Possibilities, which as we mentioned earlier, is a, a time management fable. So combining what I've learned about time management over the years in, into a story that hopefully people will find memorable and help make these lessons a little bit more clear. Well, Laura, thank you so much for coming on the show for coming on the show once again actually, and and sharing all of this wisdom and all of these insights. Thank you so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created the show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm gonna give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or if you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success.